Amen. You may be seated. Let's go ahead and jump into Lamentations tonight. Go back to the Old Testament, going back to our look at some lessons in Lamentations. And started this two weeks ago. And excited to get back into it tonight. We didn't even finish verse number one as we seek to work our way uh, through a passage of Scripture and through an entire book that's going to give us a lot of precedent for the world we're living in right now. Uh, we often use, and I mentioned to you two weeks ago, we used the term a lot in the previous year about how unprecedented our circumstances are that we're living through. And although our circumstances are unprecedented to us, they're not unprecedented to Scripture. And we can go to Scripture and we can find the precedences and responses that God would have us to have as his people in times like these. And so we're picking back up Lamentations chapter number one tonight in verse number one. And we got through the first half of verse number one two weeks ago, and I hope we can finish verse number one tonight. The Bible says, how doth the city sit solitary that was full of people? How has she become as a widow, she that was great among the nations and princes among the provinces? How is she become tributary? Now let's stop there and let's pray together. Father, thank you tonight that we can go to your word, Lord, in days such as these, as unprecedented as they are to us, uh, Lord, and yet we can find, Lord, all throughout your word, uh, instances, Lord, that we can glean from to apply in days that we're living in. Pray you'd help us tonight, speak to us. I pray you'd speak to every heart, every home, for those that are present in the building and many that are watching through our live stream tonight. Pray that you'd help us through your word, and I pray we'd be encouraged by it to live a life more pleasing to you and the example that we could be to a world that needs it right now. For it's in Jesus' name, amen. I'm not going to go over all of what we looked at two weeks ago, but basically as we look at these lamentations of Jeremiah, he is looking at the once great city of Jerusalem that has been brought to desolation ultimately because of their rebellion and because of their sin. And as we read through the book of Lamentations together, we're going to see so many instances where uh, you could interject America in the place of Jerusalem so easily. Uh, America is not Jerusalem, all right? So don't catch me after the service and tell me that. I know that. Uh, but there is many things that we can learn from Jerusalem and through the example that they gave us both in the blessings of God upon them and the chastising hand of God upon them. As we looked, we looked at last week, we looked at one thought, and we'll look at one thought again tonight. We looked in verse number one where the Bible says that the city sits solitary that was full of people and now she's become as a widow the Bible said and the first lesson that we looked at in Lamentations two weeks ago was the lesson of loneliness. Jerusalem is realizing, God's people are realizing just how lonely of a life it is when you seek to live a life without the Lord. Now there's so many examples in scripture of what it's like to attempt to live without the Lord and you would think that we would have learned from the mistakes of others that God pre reserved for us in his word, and yet how often do we seek to live, maybe it's just a minute, all right, maybe it's an hour, maybe even a day that we seek to live of ourselves aside from the Lord, and I don't know about you, but it's very lonely, isn't it, when we're separated from God because of the sin that we have in our life, and so we're seeing Jerusalem learn the first lesson of Lamentations was the lesson of loneliness, but tonight we're going to look at one more lesson in verse number one. Notice the Bible says, she that was great among the nations and princes among the provinces, how is she become tributary? Tonight, we're going to look at another lesson that they are learning that we need to learn tonight. Now, here's the deal. We don't have to learn things the hard way. 
All right? I know people that talk about the school of hard knocks and experience university, and yes, we can learn that way, or we could choose to learn from the experience that God preserved for us in his word. You know, these are not just bedtime stories. Oftentimes, we go to the Word of God, and we read them to our children for devotions, or we read them in our personal devotions, and yes, there's so many things that we can learn there, but these were written for our admonition. God preserved these things for us so that we would have a precedent to go by and not have to make the mistakes that they made. The second lesson we're going to look at tonight is very important because it's speaking in past tense. It means it's too late for them. Notice it says, she that was great among the nations. It says she was great past tense. We're seeing that Israel or Jerusalem has been demoted. Now, why? We're seeing that she has been humbled. God has brought the great city of Jerusalem, the place where he has set his name there, the place of the city of the people of God, and God has brought them low, and God has humbled them. And tonight, that's the second lesson of Lamentations we see tonight. It's a valuable lesson, but it's a crucial lesson. Number two tonight, we're going to look at this one particular thought. We're going to look at the lesson of loneliness, okay? We looked two weeks ago at the lesson of loneliness. It gets very lonely when you seek to live without the Lord. Now, you can take my word and the word of God's word for that, or you can prove that it's lonely trying to live without the Lord. There are people all over this country and all over this world tonight, and they sit in a state of loneliness spiritually. Why? Because they do not know the Lord or have no desire to know him. But notice the Bible says they were great, now they have been brought low. Now, God's people are learning a very hard lesson. It's the lesson of humility. Now, I don't know about you, but I have to work at being humble. Uh, sometimes God sends people to help me be humble. Sometimes God allows me to get embarrassed in order to be humble. Uncle Jerry Pertell told me years ago, never miss a good opportunity to be humiliated, and it seems like I take that counsel to heart oftentimes in my life. Now, why is that? Humility is not a trait that comes natural. It does not come natural. We have the natural desire to put ourselves first and to elevate ourselves, and we want people to think that more highly of ourselves than we are. And although humility is not a natural trait, thank God it is a supernatural trait. It doesn't come natural to this flesh, but it comes natural to that new nature if we choose to live in it. Why? Pride is a default nature of man. We are naturally prideful people. 1 John chapter 2, the Bible says in verse 16, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. Humility is kind of like oysters. It is an acquired taste. My wife has yet to acquire the taste for oysters. She thinks they stink, and she thinks they look nasty, and she doesn't want to eat them. And so I don't mind that, because that means I just get to eat more for myself. As a kid, my great-grandmother, we called her Ma Linder. She lived in Pascagoula, and she would cook oysters and whatnot, and she would cook uh, uh, collard greens a lot in her house. You walk into her house, and you smell this smell, and you're thinking, what on earth is that smell? She said, that's collard greens. I mean, surely you don't eat that. Surely she's cooking that for the pet, or surely she's cooking that as a pesticide or something. Surely we're not going to eat that because it just stunk the whole house up, and I had no desire for that. And later on, I think mom and dad made me try them. You know, good parents, you're going to make your kid try it at least once. I realized it wasn't that bad. Little chunks of meat floating around in there weren't that bad either. And after a while, I began craving those stinking things. And now I love them, but it was an acquired taste. Now, this is what humility is. Humility is an acquired taste. 
It's not something you're going to crave naturally, but you will crave it supernaturally. And it's one of those things that you're going to have to work at because just as soon as you think you've got it, you don't. Think about it. Just as soon as you think you've got humility down pat, you can be assured that you don't. It's like a preacher I went to college with. He says, my church gave me a blue ribbon for being humble, but they took it away from me as soon as I wore it. Isn't that just like us? We just think we're getting humility down pat, and we think that we've got it, and we've mastered this art of humility. And the next thing you know, we're uplifted in pride, and God has to sweep our legs out from under us again to make us humble again. That's the lesson of lowliness. Now, folks, understand this tonight. Jerusalem's learning it the hard way. They're learning it the hard way. I believe if America doesn't check up really quick with a real old-fashioned spiritual revival that comes, by the way, through repentance, America's going to learn it the hard way, too. But here's something wonderful. Do you know if you will allow yourself to bow low, you won't have to be brought low? All throughout Scripture, we see people bowing low and humbling themselves before God. We see that twice in Scripture. The Bible says to humble yourselves. That means we have the opportunity to bow down before God without God having to bring us down. And he gives us Jerusalem as an example of what happens when he has to bring you down. Pride is something that, if we're not careful, will sneak in and infiltrate our life right under our nose. I was thinking this afternoon, my dad used to take me, uh, we called it white perch fishing. They call it crappie fishing now. I think that's just a fancy word they probably got from the French. For some reason, we just like getting fancy words from the French, but we called them white perch. And we would always get two bags of minnows and we'd get two bag, or one tube of crickets. And uh, if the, the minnows weren't, they weren't biting that, we would use the crickets and we would catch some brim. One day I got tired of, of sitting in the boat. It was hot, wouldn't catch anything. So I decided to go sit in the car. Dad dropped me off at the shore. I went and got in the car. And I decided I was going to play with those crickets. You know, you have that cricket box that is there. It has one little bitty hole for those crickets to, uh, to get out. And you pull it out and you get one. You put the hook in and you fish with him. Well, evidently, I pulled the cork off of the, the box and fell asleep in the car. My dad comes to the car and uh, he says, where are the crickets? I said, well, they're right here. I reached down and picked up the thing, and I tell you this, there was not a cricket left in that little tube, that little net tube that was there. He says, where are the crickets? I said, they got to be in here somewhere. My dad tells us, I don't remember this, but my dad tells me this. He says his truck or his car chirped for weeks. You know, just about when you think you got one, next thing you know, you hear one creaking back there in the back and you pull over, you're ripping back the carpet trying to get that cricket out. That's how pride is. Listen close. It would have been a lot easier keeping them in there than getting them back in there. Now, this is the way pride is. Pride is a lot easier kept out than putting back in. Pride is a lot easier than kept out, I'm sorry, than getting out of your life. Those crickets, you know, they're crawling around everywhere in the car and you're having to find them. It'd be a whole lot easier to keep it out of our lives than to get it out of our lives. Now, God's going to show us some things tonight in this passage. We're going to jump into it. I hope we can get through verse number one and be finished. But God's going to show us a drastic action he took against Jerusalem. And I pray tonight that we will learn from their mistake. Now, verse one, the Bible says, how, or or verse number one says, she that was great among the nations. Now, pay close attention to that. The Bible says she was great. This is past tense. Now, the word great means abounding. It means blessed. She was great and elevated and exalted among the nations. But notice that's past tense. They were blessed of God. They were a notable people. But because of pride, number one, watch this. Providence has passed. 
One of the sure signs that God has brought you low is when God removes his hand off of your life, off of your home, or even, yes, off of a nation. And we're noticing in chapter 1, in verse number 1, right at the beginning, they are sitting solitary, they are sitting lonely, but they've also been brought low. And they were brought low, we see the evidence of it, that the providence of God has passed. Now understand something like, pride will always leave a mark, all right? Pride will always leave a mark. You allow pride to run roughshod in your life, and you allow pride to remain in your life, it's going to leave a mark. You're going to be able to tell it was there. Pride's not going to enter in your life, and you harbor pride in your life without it hurting you in some way. Why? Because the Bible says it goes before destruction. If you go up Highway 49, you'll see those two paths that the, four, the uh, tornadoes cut through Covington County. Uh, the one right there between Seminary and Collins is unbelievable. You're going through there, there's trees knocked down, there's pieces of tin wrapped around uh, the tops of trees, houses gone, trailers cut in half. It's just amazing what those tornadoes did. The tornadoes are not there anymore. They're gone. They came through in April. But you can still see where they were. And that's the way pride is. Pride is going to leave a mark. And the Bible says the city was great among the nations, and she's become tributary. One of the surest signs, remember this, mark these words, one of the surest signs of the presence of pride is the absence of God's providence. One of the surest signs that there's a presence of pride is the absence of God's providence. When God takes his hand off of you and God takes his hand off of a people because the people have exalted themselves in pride. Now, why is this important? Because we're all prone to it. And we're seeing what happens to Jerusalem. The Bible says she was great. James 4, 6, what does it say? Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace unto the humble. The key words are giveth grace. Notice who God is giving to. Notice who God is providing for. It's the humble. You look at America. Oh, what humble beginnings we had. Just a handful of pilgrims come over here trying to establish a place where they could worship God and raise their children according to the word of God. Oh, what humble beginnings this little bit over 200-year-old country has. And yet it was through our humility and our lowness before God that God exalted us among the nations. Why? Because it was his hand that was doing the exalting. But when it's your hand doing the exalting, guess what? God takes his hand off of it. This is one of the dangers of pride. Hosea chapter 2, you read a story about God's people and the illustration that he uses with Hosea and Gomer and how his people cheated on him. His people looked to him, and he provided for them, and God's hand gave them everything they needed. The land that was flowing with milk and honey, how God opened doors of providence for them. But then they went chasing their lovers, the Bible says. They decided, you know what? Why don't we go see what this one has to offer and that one has to offer? And listen what Hosea chapter 2 says. For she did not know that I gave her corn and wine and oil and multiplied her silver and gold, which they prepared for Baal. Therefore will I return and take away my corn in the time thereof. They forgot that it was God. They forgot that God was the one that provided that. They started thinking to themselves, hey, we did this, we've earned this, and we deserve this, and they left God high and dry, and what did he do? He took his hand off of them. A sure sign of the presence of pride is the absence of the providence of God. When God removes his hand, remember Saul? What happened to Saul? When God took his hand off of him, why? He was uplifted in pride. I think about Samson. Oh, if there was someone whose God's hand was upon, it was upon Samson. 
God blessed him and God empowered him and God used him for his glory. And then all of a sudden, Samson starts playing, as my dad would use the term, patty fingers. I don't think we use that anymore, do we? Patty fingers. You know, when Leslie and I were seeing each other, uh, my dad says, no patty fingers. It's kind of scriptural. The Bible says it's good for a man not to touch a woman. It's in there, amen? It's just in there. It just says what it says. So my dad says, no patty fingers. I'm like, what does that mean? You know, I'm like, I don't do patty cake anymore. You know, that's just kind of old. I'm old for that. No patty fingers. That's what Samson started doing. Samson started going to the wrong places around the wrong people that he knew better and started basically playing patty fingers with the world. The Bible says that after his hair was cut in disobedience to God, what did he say? What did he say? He said, I'm going to rise up as before. I'm going to get up. I'm going to have all the power that I have before. And the Bible says that he wished not that the Lord was departed from him. He says, I will do what I've always done. I'm Samson, the mighty man. You see, he thought it was him. Samson thought it was him that did all of that, and yet it was God that did that in God's hand upon him. And as soon as Samson, in disobedience and pride, ignored God, the Bible says he wished not that the hand of the Lord had departed from him. I want you to know something tonight. I can't tell you where America is at. Only God knows. But I pray tonight that God's hand is not off America yet. It should be. It should be. We sing it. It was God that shed his grace upon us. It was God that raised us up. What does the Bible say? Humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God. Humble yourselves. What does that mean? It means get low. It means bow yourself before God bows you down through affliction and chastisement. The Bible says humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you. And America was humble before God, and God exalted us. There's no way this ragtag group of militias could have pulled off the victory against the British Empire the way they did without the providence of God. That's impossible. Impossible. There's no way we could have made it through the world wars that we came through without the providence of God. I have a quote. George Washington said this. The man must be bad indeed who can look upon the events of the American Revolution without feeling the warmest gratitude toward the great author of the universe whose divine interposition was so frequently manifested on our behalf. It's a lot of fancy words we don't use anymore here in the South. Basically what he's saying is this. You've got to be some kind of wicked not to be able to acknowledge the hand of God in bringing this country about. That's exactly what he said in Jeremiah Andrews' English. It was God that did it. We were exalted when God was the one doing the exalting. But as soon as we decided to exalt ourselves, God pulled his hand away. And by the way, he does that out of his loving kindness. How on earth could that be loving kindness? Because God wants us to learn swiftly just how scary it is to try it without him. How many times have our kids just been bent on doing something they're not supposed to do? Touching the stove... You know, putting a Coke bottle in their mouth or other things they find around the house to put in their mouth. After a while, you just sit there and you're going to watch them. You let them do it. And, man, they realize they didn't want what they thought they wanted. And you let them learn that. Why? Because now they've learned it. Do you know what the word learn means? Lessons earned. Lessons earned. They've learned those lessons. Israel or Jerusalem's learning this lesson now, but they're learning it the hard way. And God tonight wants us to understand it was him that got us where we are. It was him that exalted us. And yet we see our country now, it almost appears that the hand of God has been removed. 
What repels the hand of God? Pride. Pride. The Bible says he resisteth the proud. You ever resisted something? Door-to-door salesman? Girl Scout cookies? No, you know you don't do that, do you? You open it up, roll out the red carpet, come on in, give me two of each box. Politicians come around knocking on your door, you resist them. Or maybe me, I come knock on your door and you resist me, act like you're not home. I know you're home, quit faking it. I see your car, no, you only have one vehicle. I hear the TV going, and shame on you for watching that to begin with. I know you're there, and you're resisting. You don't want no part of it. That's the way God does us. He resisted the proud. When we elevate ourselves and exalt ourselves, God says, you're on your own. But the Bible says he gives grace to the humble. He wants us to learn this lesson tonight, this lesson of lowliness. And it begins by seeing that providence has passed for Jerusalem. God's pulled his hand. Harry Ironside said this. I read the story about him several months ago where he started becoming prideful in his heart because he had gotten some notoriety in his preaching. Even preachers get prideful. Amen? Amen. There we go. I helped you out a little bit. Started getting prideful because he had a big name and everybody knew who he was. And he was talking to another preacher and he says, what do you think I ought to do? He says, go get you one of those sandwich boards, you know? Like those guys that wear those signs, the end of the world is coming. You know, get you a sandwich board and walk up and down the streets, I think of Chicago, and just start quoting scripture, and that'll, that'll humble you. And so he did. Got a sandwich board on that said, Jesus is coming. He's walking up and down the street quoting scripture. People are looking at him, reviling him, hissing at him. And, oh, after the long day of doing that, he went back to his room, and he was just wore out. True story. He said he looks in the mirror and says, I'll bet you there's not another man in Chicago that would do that. Just like that. Just like that. All of that humility and abasing himself and being brought low. And in just an instance, the crickets got out. Why? Because we're naturally prone to it. But understand tonight what's going to happen. And God's going to pull his hand off of you. I've seen churches get too big for their britches thinking, you know what? God, we got it from here. I've known preachers, I've known ministries, I've known families who thought they could do it without God. And all of a sudden, the providence of God passes away. And notice the past tense. She that was great. I fear tonight that our national pride has bled over into natural pride. There's nothing wrong with national pride. I'm thankful, and I am proud to be an American. I've been in many foreign countries, and you walk around, and just because you're from the United States, they want to talk to you. They just want to talk to you. You feel like a celebrity walking around, and the only thing I did was be born in America. And they want to talk to you. I'm proud to be an American, but be careful that our national pride doesn't spill over into natural pride. And as soon as that pride exalts ourselves, God's hand comes off, and now the providence is passed. The second thing, notice what happens here. She that was great, keep reading, among the nations. So number one, providence is passed. But the Bible says she was great among the nations. Jerusalem was not only blessed with providence, but if you'll notice, the Bible says she was great among the nations. She had prominence. God blessed her with the providence and the blessings that we see in America. Oh, how God has blessed this country with providence. But not only that, America has been given prominence. Just like Jerusalem, she was great among the nations. 1 Peter 2 says it this way, which in times past were not a people, but are now the people of God. I love how it says that. You were not a people, but you're now the people of God. God did that for them, and yet now they've rebelled against God, 
and their time of opportunity is past. The second lesson of lowliness is this. Notice leadership has been lost. Her leadership's been lost. Not only has her providence been taken away, the blessings are gone. She was great, past tense, but now the Bible says she was great among the nations. She has lost that leadership role that God placed her there for to begin with. You think about that. Why did God call them? Why did God place them in the place that he placed them there? Jeremiah 32 says it this way in verse 38, and they shall be my people and I will be their God. God says, I chose you to represent me. What a privilege that is. Can you imagine being them, getting chosen to represent Almighty God? Would that not be a privilege? Yeah, you see where we're going with this. That is our privilege. We are here to represent God. He says, I want to be your God and you be my people. All the other gods have their people out there and all of them have their representatives. I want you to represent me and I want you to lead the way. And yet in their rebellion, now the Bible says she was, past tense, great among the nations. What's happened? She's lost her leadership. We read about Jerusalem. The Bible tells us in Chronicles this was the place that he chose to set his name there. This was that city on the hill that Reagan talked about. I believe it was a Brother Bolt in his, uh, the night before he was elected and his farewell speech Ronald Reagan called the United States of America that shining city on the hill. We were blessed by God and raised up by God to represent him. And oh, for a good 200 years, America did just that. God used this country to get the gospel out all over the world. The gospel light was sent out and shown into the dark regions of this world all through this small young country called the United States of America. How God exalted us and gave us leadership. I don't know if we still are, but we were the world power. We were the world leaders. There are countries ten times older than ours, and yet we became the world leader. We stepped in, and when we stepped in to all the wars, everything else changed. There's a lot of people in this world who owe the United States of America. I think the world needs to pay an America tax and pay us back for some of the stuff that we did, but that's just my opinion, all right? Don't tell them I said that, but that's just my opinion. But notice their pride has cost them their influence. Pride has cost them their influence. Pride entered in, and pride undermined the opportunity that God gave them to lead, what does it say, among the nations. Now, folks, can I tell you, America doesn't have the influence we used to have. And it's not because we have less money. It's not because we have a political problem. America has lost its leadership role because America has become infected with pride. It was God the one that gave us the leadership role to begin with. It was God's the one who put us at the front of the line and everybody else just got in line and followed our lead. How did that happen? It was because of God. It's the same way Jerusalem became the influence that they were. God put them there. There's something interesting I want to show you tonight. I don't know that I've ever broke this verse apart this way, but hear, hear me out. Proverbs 14, 34, we read this often. Righteousness exalteth the nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. Now, let's break that verse down real quickly, real, real quickly, all right? Righteousness exalteth a nation. What does exalt? Elevate. Elevate. America was elevated. Why? Because she was righteous. Watch this. What is righteousness? What is righteousness? It's God's way. When you live righteously, stick with me, all right? Light bulb's going to come on in a minute. You're going to make, man, I get it. Righteousness, and when you live righteously, you are living God's way. 
all right? You're doing things God's way. And the Bible says when we do things God's way, he exalts us, all right? Righteousness exalted the nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. What is sin? Sin is our way. Sin is our way. What does sin do? It's a reproach. It's a disgrace. It's a shame. It brings us low. How often do we use the words low down shame? Just a low down shame that LSU didn't win this year. Just a low down shame that the restaurant ran out of my favorite chicken wings. The other day I went to get some chicken. Man, I should have known better than to get the last one they had in the window at the gas station. Beware of gas station chicken. Lady went up and she says, I'd like to get a chicken. And I looked in there, and there was one left. She says, no, I don't want that one. I was like, well, I'll take it. I knew why she didn't take it, man. That thing was just horrible. It was like chicken jerky, just dried out. It looked like it got run over by a truck before they smoked it. And I think they just used the smoke to cover up the wounds. It was looking pretty rough. I got, got to the house, and we got to Brother AJ's house. Where we, I took that over to his house for supper. And you open it up. Man, you just look at that thing, a poor excuse for a bird. Just a low-down shame, pretty rough. That's how we are. We're just, listen, we're low-down sinners that are saved by grace, and yet when pride enters in again, it makes us low again. It brings us low. Righteousness or God's way will exalt a nation. But when I do things my way, that's pride. My way. I'm going to do it my way. God, I know you said this, and I will be righteous to do it your way, but I'm going to do things my way. Be careful with the mys and the eyes. The eyes and the eyes will always get you in trouble. Be careful with the, we call them at our house, the I know buts. The I know buts. I know, look, you should stop. When you're, I know the Bible says stop, just stop right there. But we always say, but. I know what God said. I know what the Bible says, but. Go ahead and do things your way. Your way is going to bring you low. Why? Because only righteousness, which is God's way, will exalt you. And America's proving that. We're living unrighteously. We're saying, God, we're going to try to be the blessed nation our way. God says, try it. You could have learned from Lamentations. The Bible says, she that was great, past him, among the nations. She's lost her leadership role. I heard a quote the other day that says this, humility is the only way we give ourselves and God the credit we both deserve. I'm going to have to read it again because some of you didn't get it because that should have at least got two amens out of that one. Humility is the one way we give ourselves and God the credit we both deserve. When you humble yourself before God, you're saying two things. I know my place and I know yours. That's what humility does. Humility says, God, I know who I am without you, therefore I'm down here, which automatically puts you right there because only one can occupy that top spot. I used to tell my kids all the time in our Wednesday night class. The Bible says the blessings of God come down from above, do they not? Like rain, come down from above. But when you place yourself above God, you're out of the reach of his blessings. God's only going to bless what's under him. Every good and perfect gift cometh down from above. And when you're above God, you're going to dry out. Because his blessings can't reach you because you've exalted yourself above God. So number two, in this lesson of lowliness, we see leadership has been lost. Can I tell you something tonight, Christian? You will lose the influence that God placed you here to have as soon as pride enters in. As soon as you let pride come in, you're going to do things your way. 
I know God says do things his way. I'm going to do things my way. You're going to lose your testimony, and you're going to lose your influence. And by the way, remember, just like Jerusalem, he placed them there for the purpose of influence. I want you to be my people. I want you to represent me. That's why we're here. We're here to represent him. God raised up this country. I have no doubt in my mind, all right? I can't prove it to you from Scripture, but I have no doubt in my mind it was God that allowed the United States of America to become that city on the hill. Why? Not for our glory, but for his. And as soon as we were uplifted in pride, God says, okay, I've got to teach you the same lesson I taught Jerusalem because he's no respecter of persons. And he's faithful and he's just. And he pulls his hand off. When he pulls his hand off, we realize it was him all along giving us those blessings. So number two, we see leadership has been lost. First Samuel 15, I mentioned it a moment ago. When Saul went in and did not destroy the Amalekites like God said. Now watch, God says, go in, destroy the Amalekites. That's God's way. God says, go do it my way. Go do it my way. Destroy all of them. Do not keep anything. Do away with it. And if Saul's going to be righteous, he's going to do things God's way. He decided, you know what, I'm going to do things my way. I'm going to keep Agag, and I'm going to keep some of the best of the, uh, of the livestock that is there. And what did Samuel say in 1 Samuel 15, 17? When thou wast little in thine own sight, was thou not made the head of the tribes of Israel, and the Lord anointed thee king over Israel. When you were little, God made you big. When you were little and you were low, God raised you up. He says, but when you became big... Verse 26, the Lord hath rejected thee from being king over Israel. You know what God did? Pulled his hand off. He moved his hand over to a young man named David. Now, folks, I pray tonight, listen to me, I pray tonight that maybe God still got his pinky on the United States of America. But it's not beyond God to remove his hand and go put it on somewhere like the Philippines. The gospel spreading over there like wildfire. People taking a stand for the cause of Christ, unashamed of the word of God, going to church four, five, six days in a row. <gasps> Could it be that God's about to lift his hand off the United States and say, you know what, I'm not a respecter of persons. Do you want to do things my way? Here, here's my hand. And that providence comes, and then they become a leader. You say, how could a little country like that become a leader the same way America did? Because of God. So the second thing, the lesson of lowliness is leadership has been lost. And finally, I'll give you this and we'll be done tonight. She that was great, her providence has passed. Among the nations, she's lost her leadership now. The Bible says, goes on to say, how has she become tributary? That word tributary, we don't use it very often really describe it in the sense that it's being used here. It simply means that now she is the one who's having to pay. She's giving tribute. What's happening here is we're seeing a contrast to where God provided for her everything she needed. God promised, I'll take care of everything you need. You just keep me where I belong, and I'll rain those blessings down on you. And know how God did that while they were obedient. But then when they were uplifted in pride, they got out of the way of God's blessings, and now, watch this, they're paying their own way. They've become tributary. Now they're literally paying for the sin of their pride. And that's number three tonight in this lesson of lowliness. Notice conceit has been costly. Conceit has been costly. The devil doesn't tell you when he tries to get you to harbor pride in your life and in your home. He doesn't tell you in the fine print of just what it's going to cost you. 
Jerusalem thought, you know what, we'll do things our way instead of God's way, and surely it's not going to be that big of a deal. And yet now, look at their paying. They have become a tributary. They're actually paying the cost. Now, why do we need to see that? Well, it's kind of like those medicines you see on the news. You know, they're advertising this medicine to make the greatest thing since sliced bread. It's going to make you feel like a million bucks. Your hair is going to grow back. You're going to have that nice, white, shiny smile. At the very end, they have a really fast-talking guy. May cause. Slow it down and listen to what it may cause. You're trying to get whiter teeth. May cause an arm to fall off. May lose sight in your right eye. I mean, all down the line, and you're thinking to yourself, all I wanted was white teeth. And the side effects of this thing may cause heart murmurs, may, be, may cause insomnia. You say, all I wanted was white teeth. Yeah, it's not worth it. It's not even worth taking to begin with. And that's the way the devil operates. He doesn't want you to know what the end cost is going to be until he gets you to agree to the deal. And now we see Israel paying for it. First Samuel chapter number 8. I read this this afternoon, and boy, I saw our country. Israel goes to Samuel and says, we want a king we want a king. Why? So we can be like everybody else. Give us a king. What are they saying? I want, I want, I want. Instead of letting God be their king, they decided they wanted an earthly king. Matter of fact, let's turn there real quickly. We got time and I'm going to close. First Samuel chapter 8. I want to show you this. Look down to... Um, we're down about verse 5, I think it is. I'm breaking in a new Bible. Man, that is tough stuff because nothing is where it's supposed to be. 1 Samuel chapter number 8. Look at verse 5. And said unto him, Behold, thou art old, and thy sons walk not in thy ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. That's never a good reason to ask for anything. You want to be like everybody else. Verse 6, but the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed unto the Lord. And the Lord said unto Samuel, hearken unto the voice of the people and all that they say unto thee, for they have not rejected thee, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. Oh, God makes the best king. Could I tell you that tonight? God makes the best king. Be careful making something else your king. Verse 8, according to all the works which they have done since the day that I have brought them up out of Egypt, even unto this day, wherein they have forsaken me and served other gods, so do they also unto thee. You keep reading for the sake of time. He goes on to tell them what manner of king they will have. Look at verse 11. And he said, this will be the manner of the king that shall reign over you. He shall take your sons and appoint them for himself. For his chariots, and to be his horsemen, and some shall run before his chariots. And he'll appoint captains over thousands and captains over fifties, and will set them to ear his ground and to reap his harvest and to make his instruments of war and instruments of his chariots. He will take your daughters to be confectionaries and be cooks and to be bakers. He will take your fields. What I want you to see is you keep reading. He says, and he will take, and he will take, and he will take, and he will take. Oh, they were so hard-headed. Verse 19, the people, the Bible says, Nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel. And they said, Nay, but we will have a king over us. They said, You know what? We know what God said. God says, I will be the king over you. They says, Nevertheless, no, we want what we want. We're going to have what we want. We're going to have things our way. And you know what the king did? 
he took and he took and he took and he took. Can I tell you tonight, conceit is costly. When you choose to want your way over God's way, you're going to find this lesson of lowliness. God's going to bring you low, and you're going to realize it's going to cost you so much more than the devil ever bargained for when he negotiated the deal with you. You thought it was such a good deal, I'm going to get my way, and yes, I'm not doing God's way, but I bet it's going to work out just about even. It never works out even. Why? Because God's the greatest king. And when you put another one in front of you, I'll promise you, he can't be a rightful substitute for what only God could do. You know what he's going to do? He's going to take, he's going to take, he's going to take. And one day you're going to be like desolate Jerusalem. You're going to learn the lesson of lowliness the hard way. When the king that you thought you wanted took and he took and he took and he took. Now here's the good news tonight. It doesn't have to be this way. God will resist the proud. God says, I'm, I don't want anything to do with you. I'm not going to put my hand on you. Go ahead, get things your way. Have things your way. Me and my and I, go ahead and have things your way. And you're going to see I'm going to remove my hand. Providence will be passed. You're going to lose your leadership, and you're going to realize that conceit is very costly. That's the lesson of lowliness. We don't have to learn it tonight because if we'll just be obedient to the Word of God, the Bible says he gives grace. He gives grace to the humble and to the lowly. If we'll just, I'm going to read this for you and I'm done. Proverbs 16, 25. There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. You can decide I want my way, I'm going to do things God's way. You bow before an almighty God and you bow yourself without him having to bow you down and him having to break us. You say, well, how do you know that? Well, I'm looking at Jerusalem. I see what happened to them. And what happened to them is an example for us that we don't have to follow if we'll just learn this lesson of lowliness. Tonight, let's have our heads bowed and eyes closed for a few minutes.